0: 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Looks like we're going to be able to just finish up 1 Corinthians the rest of this year and then start in on a new study the 1st of uh, 2012. And uh, just to give you a quick preview, I'm really excited about it. We're going to be studying probably almost the entire year next year. Uh, not completely without break, the life of David uh, on Tuesday night. And uh, just to throw this out, there is no one in the Bible mentioned more than David other than Jesus Christ. David is mentioned more than any other Bible character. To give you some other perspective, Abraham is mentioned in 14 chapters in the Bible. Pretty significant character. Isaac, 14 chapters. Jacob, 14 chapters. Joseph, 14 chapters. David, 69 chapters in the Bible. And that's not counting the Psalms that he wrote. Now... When I've studied the Bible, obviously one of the things that God has impressed upon me over the years is that God only has to say something once and that's good enough. But when God spends so much time on something or someone, there's also significance there. There's something that God wants us to get or else he wouldn't have spent so much time on a subject or a character. And so David, we're going to be looking very, very closely at the And the sad thing is that when when most even Christians think of David, they think of one high and one low. They think of the battle with Goliath and they think of the adultery with Bathsheba. And that's pretty much all they know about David. And yet the Bible, God says, he was a man after my own heart. And I'm going to devote more time to him in the word than any other character other than jesus christ so starting in january looking forward to that but we've got some great chapters in first corinthians coming up and uh, we've got the the resurrection chapter first corinthians 15 what is the gospel the love chapter first corinthians 13 spiritual gifts first corinthians 12 and 14 and tonight Paul is continuing to try to get the Corinthians and us to keep our focus. Because one of the things that Paul is is saying here in this passage is that if we keep our focus on Christ, then it will enable us three things. It will enable us to look beyond what we're presently going through. It will enable us to look beneath the surface or below the surface of things in a sense, have a a holy insight into things. And it will enable us to actually look beside us to people whose lives we're affecting, hopefully in a positive way. And we don't have to worry about looking beyond, beneath, or beside. As long as we keep our focus on Christ, He will enable us to do that. So with that said, Paul starts off by telling the Corinthians... And using an Old Testament example of why it's so important that they learn to, in a sense, look beyond the circumstances, the experiences that they go through. He begins in verse 1 by saying, I do not want you to be unaware. The Greek word means to lack understanding, insight, and perception that's going to result in error. In other words, this is important. God wants us to be aware of this. We need to have insight. We need to have perception into these things. And he calls them brothers and sisters. And then he reminds them of the experience of Moses and the children of Israel who came out of Egypt. He said, remember something. Our fathers were all under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses, which simply means they were identified with Moses in a general way. That's what the word baptism means. In the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Notice in these four verses that Paul uses the word all six times. Because he wants the Corinthians to to be reminded of something that they should know very well. And that is that the whole nation of Israel had all these unbelievable experiences as the people of God. And yet, in spite of all these experiences that they had... It really didn't benefit them. It didn't really do what it could have done or should have done in their lives. And again, he wants to emphasize they all. It wasn't like some of them had the experiences and some of them didn't. They all had these experiences. Getting a little bit ahead of myself, but let's remember that even though all of them had these experiences, that everyone over the age of 20 died in the wilderness Only two of the older generation were allowed to go into the promised land Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses did not enter. Even though they all had these experiences. Notice what they were. All were under the cloud, meant that they were all receiving divine supernatural guidance. All passed through the sea, verse 1. All had experienced the the supernatural deliverance of God. All were identified with the leadership of God through Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. They all received this unbelievable supernatural provision from God. And all drank the same spiritual drink. All were, again, being provided for. By God. And then don't miss what Paul goes on to say in verse 4. Tremendous. For they were all drinking from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Christ was present with his people in the Old Testament. There is a battle today in seminaries all across the country, which are obviously the institutions that train the pastors who end up leading churches. And one of the battles is, Does did Christ even exist in the Old Testament? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, He did. And, and this is why... <laughs> Our churches end up struggling because those who are training the leaders of our churches aren't even accepting by faith what God clearly says in His Word about some of the most obvious things. Jesus didn't just begin to exist in Bethlehem. Jesus was very active in the Old Testament and Paul makes reference to that here. The other point I want to make is simply this. That the word drinking means to be nourished, to be refreshed, to be strengthened. And that Christ was following them, literally in the Greek, accompanying them in their journey. And I love the word rock. It's the Greek word petra, and the Greeks used it to speak of an unwavering foundation. I love that. Because that's really the meaning, I think, of what the Bible wants us to gain from the fact that that they call Christ our rock. David used this term for Christ, for God, many times in the Psalms. God is our rock. And whether we're talking about the Old Testament or the New Testament... God wants us to understand of Him, He can be, He wants to be our unwavering foundation for life. Is Christ our rock tonight? He needs to be the rock of our church, the oasis, He needs to be the rock of our individual lives. And... I don't know what all you are going through, but I hopefully can encourage you to just think about and meditate and and just remind yourself that Christ is your rock. He's your stability. He is not sinking sand. And if you and I just continue to build our lives on Him and His Word, no matter what happens in our life, Our foundation is sure he's the rock. Now, again, why Paul, though, wrote this first part of 1 Corinthians 10 was to remind the Corinthians that the Israelites had went through some unbelievable experiences, but it didn't seem to benefit them. Notice he goes on to say God, verse five, was not pleased with most of them. He didn't take pleasure in. They they could not be recipients of His blessing and favor. Why? Well, he goes on to say they were cut down in the wilderness. Literally, their bodies were spread over the wilderness. These things happened as examples. Good word. Example to make a lasting impression. God is wanting these stories from the Old Testament... To be recorded in His Word so that people from the ages after could have a lasting impression made upon them. And the impression primarily in this context that God and Paul wants the Corinthians and you and I to have is beware of our experiences. Allow God to help us go beyond the experience and get out of the experience all and what we should get out of it. Because the Israelites obviously did not. They experienced a lot of stuff. They experienced the miracles of God. They saw with their own eyeballs the power of God like maybe no one else. Parting of the Red Sea? I mean, come on. And yet it didn't really make a difference in the way they approached God and in the way they lived their life. And so... What that spoke to me was, in my world, i got to beware of how I experience church with my church family. Is it just another Tuesday? Or am I going to truly benefit and gain from this experience on Tuesday all that I could and should? Or is another experience with God and with His people going to go by, and yet the experience that I'm experiencing really doesn't make any difference? How about reading His Word? Can I read His Word and experience His Word and yet not get out of that experience what I should or could? Absolutely. Can I pray and have an experience of prayer and yet not be changed? Absolutely. And this is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. saying the same thing that happened to the Israelites in the Old Testament, can happen to you and I. We can have all these experiences, and folks, we live in an experience-oriented society anyway, that has creeped into the church to where it's just one experience after another. And I'm not saying experiences are bad, obviously, you know, hanging out with each other at church twice a week is a good experience, reading our Bible, prayer, fellowship, whatever, but... We can experience a lot of things with God and God's people and it still not change us in any way. And that's what Paul wanted us to see. They all were led by the cloud and pillar of fire. They all went through the sea. They all were led by Moses. They all were supernaturally provided for by God with water from a rock and manna from heaven. But it made no difference in their lives. We all need to make sure that the experiences we have, that each one of them, we don't just walk through the motions and go through the routine. You know, just like I remind myself and God reminds me, there's never going to be this exact grouping of people here ever again on a Tuesday night. Never. It'll be a different combination, but it'll never be exactly like this will never be in this passage exactly like this. It's never going to be like this. And I think God wants us to gain from our experience everything that we can gain from it every time we can. We're not going to sing those songs ever again in that combination probably. So that's why he goes on to say, These things happened to make a lasting impression so that we will not crave evil things as they did. So do not be idolaters, which is really the key here. They put something else or someone else before God. That's really what an idolater is. God is to occupy priority first place. And so anyone or anything, including me, I can put myself before God. Which is what these folks did, even though they saw God in unbelievable ways. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink. Literally, they strengthened themselves and rose up to play. The word play is an interesting word. It does have some sexual overtones, but it also just means they acted like children. So again, it's almost like, say, in our modern you know, church, we would say, we all went to Bible study, and yet we all acted like children after the fact. You know, we were all carping about each other and gossiping and you know, and they did this to me and then you know. And again, so Paul would say, Well, did the Bible study really help? Did it really change anything? And let us not be immoral as some of them were. Twenty three thousand died in a single day. Let us not put Christ to the test. The word test here is an interesting word. It means to be dissatisfied with God's provision. And we know, you read the story of the Exodus, the Israelites, they were always, as he goes on to say, even in verse 10, they were always murmuring and complaining and dissatisfied. God provided, but they, you know, it's like, God, I know you're giving us manna to survive, but can't I have a filet, medium well, you know, baked potato, it, it didn't matter what God did. It was never good enough. And so he says, do not complain. Do not be discontent or show God ingratitude, as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Again, these things happened as examples and were written for our instruction. Literally, the word means an exhortation with a warning attached. In other words, don't go down the same path they did. Don't experience the power and presence of Almighty God and then have it not make a difference in how you and I walk with Him and how we walk with each other and how we relate to Him and how we relate to each other. Then what good are the experiences? You know, we have all kinds of people. I want an experience with God. Well, guess what? We can have an experience with God every day if we open up the Word. We have God living inside of us. We have experiences with God all the time. But are we truly taking advantage fully from these experiences and letting God change us and make us more like Christ. So he goes on in verse 12 to say, So let the one who thinks he is standing, who is self-confident, who is thinking this could never happen to us, be careful that he does not fall. And then comes verse 13. The verse I was talking about Sunday when I said, come on Tuesday and you'll hear me uh, mention the verse that I believe, my own opinion, is probably the most misquoted, misinterpreted, misapplied verse that I hear Christians use throughout my Christian life. Verse 13. Not, no trial. And notice the context that this verse is in too. No trial has overtaken you that is not faced by others, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tried beyond what you are able to bear, but with the trial will also provide a way out so that you may be able to endure it. Most of the time, not all the time, most of the time when I hear Christians quoting this verse, it's usually in the context that they're going through some really, really bad trial in their life. And they'll say something to the effect of, well, I don't know just what God's saying there in His Word because He promised me that He would never allow something to come into my life that was too much for me to bear. And what I'm going through right now is more than I can bear. So really what they're saying without saying it is, I'm questioning God's character and I'm questioning what He said in the Word because... I think verse Corinthians 10, 13, doesn't that tell me that God's not ever going to allow something more than I can bear to come into my life? But that's not what that verse means. In fact, again, the context that most of us use that verse in is that somehow God's going to provide an escape from the trial. But the key, you'll never see the word escape there. The key word in verse 13 is actually at the end, it's the word indoor. Because what the verse is simply teaching us is, yeah, there will always be things that come into our life that's beyond us. That's life. He even says, it's common. It, it's part of being a human being with all of our limitations and frailties and living in a fallen world. We will always at different times in our life have things come into our life that is beyond our ability to be able to handle. But Paul is saying, but God is faithful. He will provide a way. Very interesting. The word way that he uses there is literally a word that was used by the Greeks to describe a mountain pass through some cavernous area. And Paul goes on to say, God wants to lead us to a place Not where we can escape this trial, if you will, that's come into my life, but so that we will be able to get strength to endure it. Literally, to continue to carry it as long as God wants us to carry it. So don't miss the picture here. It's a beautiful picture. Because why this fits into the context of what Paul has just said to the Corinthians is that, okay... We need to be aware of looking beyond our experiences and gaining from our experiences rather than just going through experiences and never letting the experiences that we go through really draw us closer to God or closer to each other or make a difference in our lives. But then Paul didn't want them, by inserting this verse, to get to the point where they felt that failure was inevitable. That it was just like, well, if that happened to the Israelites, to the people of God, then why do I even try? I mean... Surely I'm going to fall uh, into the same, you know, situation that they did. I'm not going to be able to stand up to, to, to this. And Paul saying, oh yeah, yeah, you can. Because with every trial, by the way, the word trial means a test to prove. That's really what the word trial means. It is a test to prove what really is there or is not there. That whatever life experience comes into my life that overwhelms me as a believer in Jesus Christ, I can count on this. I can count on God being true to his promise, which is what the word provide means. God will be true to his promise. He will provide a way so that I am able to endure it. Literally again, I love this picture even in the midst of something really difficult that is beyond me god if i continue to follow him will lead me through this mountain pass this dark valley psalm 23 the valley of the shadow of death and he will take me to a place where i can be strengthened in order to carry this for however long of season God wants me to carry it. And then, the cool thing is, God will use this experience to build up my strength so that the next time something comes along, I've got even more strength to deal with what's coming down the road. And if I need more strength, I can always count on God to lead me to a place where He can strengthen me in order to carry that however long I need to carry it. So it has nothing to do with God removing it or not allowing it to happen at all, or escaping it. But it has everything to do with God, through this trial, wants to build up my strength so that I can see that with Him, I can carry something I never thought I could carry. And I can then look beyond my experiences. And now I can see, okay, even the bad things that happen to good people have such a purpose for it. Because in the times that God in my life allows me to go through really hard trials, again, it's never to discourage, it's never to defeat, it's never to beat me down. It's only to make me stronger and help me to trust in Him more and see that I can rely on Him to be that unwavering foundation, my rock, that will allow me to get through anything and anything in my life. That's why that's connected with the context. Oh, I took almost all the time on that. Let's go to verse 14. The other thing that Paul wanted to remind the Corinthians of was not just to look beyond their experience, but to be able to look beneath or below the surface of things. He goes back to the whole concept of this whole eating meat sacrifice to idols, which we've already went through. But the difference here is that Paul is saying that some in Corinth thought it was also okay to actually go into the idol temple itself and in a sense be partaking of meals that were offered in idol temples. And Paul's saying, look, I know that we have the liberty in Christ to eat meat, sacrificed to idols. And you can do that in your own home. And you can even be invited somewhere else and eat meat, sacrificed to idols. But Paul says, you better realize something, that when you start attending an idol temple and eating meat sacrifice there, you're missing what's below or beneath the surface. Look at what Paul says. So then now, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I'm speaking to thoughtful people, literally sensible, reasonable people. Consider what I say. Is not the cup of blessing that we bless, a sharing in the blood of Christ, a fellowship, association, communion. It's the Greek word koinonia. And the cup of blessing he's talking about there, one of these days I'm going to do a Seder. And in the Passover there's four cups of wine that are are drunk. The, The third cup of the four is the cup of blessing. It was at that point in the Passover that Jesus took the cup with his followers in the upper room and in a sense gave us the Lord's table. That third cup is called the cup of blessing. And Paul is simply reminding the Corinthians when we partake of the cup of blessing, are we not sharing in the blood of Christ? Are we not associating, communion, fellowshipping? Is not the bread that we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread and we who are many are one body for we all share the one bread. Look at the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices partners in the altar? Now again, he's saying, look, verse 19. Am I saying that idols or food sacrificed to them amount to anything? Paul says no. But notice what he says in verse 20. I mean that what the pagan sacrifice is to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to be partners with demons. He says, you in Corinth have to realize that some of the things that you're saying is okay. You're not realizing the power behind it. You're not realizing what's beneath it, what's below the surface. And God can help you to see that, yeah, it's okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols in your own home or in somebody else's home. But to think that you have the liberty to go into an idol temple and somehow not be affected by what's going on there, considering that this temple is really all about demonic worship and that there are demons present there and that everything that is going on there is demonic in its origin and source, Paul says you are sadly mistaken. You're gonna end up just like the Israelites. That's why he goes on to say, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot take part in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or are we trying to provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we really stronger than he? And Paul's simply reminding them and us in this passage that sometimes we underestimate the danger of certain things we get involved in and overestimate our own ability to be able to handle it. And that was true of the Corinthians because of their pride. This isn't going to affect me. I can go into an idol temple. It's not going to bother me. Paul says, don't you realize what's underneath all that in that idol temple? It's demonic. So for me, I think one of the things I took away from this is just trying again to make sure that I'm walking with God. To the point where God then enables me to be able to start seeing below or beneath the surface of things. To what's really behind it so that I might not get caught up in an experience or, or say something's okay whenever it's actually going to hurt or damage my walk with God or somebody else's walk with God. I mean, think about this. This is the way Satan has operated ever since the beginning. He comes out to Eve with a piece of fruit. Well, the fruit, it, it, it's good fruit, right? It looks good. And he says, come on. Right? And at that point, Eve nor Adam we're walking in fellowship with God enough to be able to see beneath what was happening there. It wasn't just a piece of fruit. It was going to matter a big deal. And so again, I think Paul's saying, guys, keep your eyes on God. When we do that, we can look beyond our experiences and gain from our experiences as Christians everything we could and should. And it's going to enable us to look below and beneath the surface of things to see what's really there, that sometimes Satan or some demon is going to come out and say, hey, why don't you get involved in this? you got the liberty to do it, right? It's not going to harm you. It's not going to hurt you. And Paul's saying, don't just look at the surface. Look beneath the surface and see what's really there. And then Paul says, which is something he's already talked about, he says, And then God's going to give us the ability to be able to look beside us and see how our lives are affecting others. Because it's not just about us. Again, going back to verse 23. Paul says, everything is lawful or permissible, but not everything is beneficial, profitable. Everything is lawful. Now, he's not talking about clearly that there are things in the Bible that God says you and I shouldn't be a part of. He's talking about, again, liberty issues. Gray areas. Things that the Bible clearly doesn't spell out as right or wrong. But Paul says not everything builds others up. Literally edifies, promotes growth in others. So in verse 24, here's the key. Do not seek your own good. In other words, don't aim alone at self. But the good of the other person. In other words, Paul's just simply saying for the Christian that when I keep my eyes on Christ, I'm going to be more aware of the people around me and how my life and actions are impacting them. It's not just about me. I may have the liberty to do something, but I've got to take into consideration other people. Eat anything, Paul said, that is sold in the marketplace without questions of conscience. Don't worry about it. Don't make a deal about something that God doesn't make a deal about. He says the earth and the abundance of it are the Lord's. But notice in verse 27, he gives them a specific example. And for the very first time, instead of using a Christian, now he uses an unbeliever. And he says, if an unbeliever invites you to dinner and you want to go, eat whatever is served without asking questions of conscience. Whatever the unbeliever throws in front of you, just eat it. He said, don't make an issue out of something if the unbeliever doesn't make an issue out of it. Don't be like that. But, he says... If someone says to you at that dinner party, hey, this is from a sacrifice, verse 28. Paul says it would actually be better not to eat it. Because of the one who told you, and because of conscience, not your conscience, not my conscience, how it's going to impact their conscience, if you will. Again, he says, verse 29, I do not mean yours, but the other person's. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? Well, because another's spiritual welfare is more important than our freedom. Yeah, I may have the freedom to do it, but I've got to take into account. And God, if I keep my focus, will enable me to take into account how my choices, decisions, and actions are affecting those around me. Now, if it's in my own home and it's just me, eat whatever you want. But Paul says, if you're around somebody else, especially in this situation where the unbeliever or someone there in that unbeliever's home is making an issue out of it. Then. Don't eat. And then I love this because we pull this verse out of the context it's in too, verse 31. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. You see the context of that. Paul's saying, yeah, even in our eating and drinking, it can have an impact positively or negatively on those around us. So we even have to take the mundane, routine things that we do in life into consideration when it comes to how other people view it. Do not give offense to Jews or Greeks, and I think here in the context he's talking about Jews or Greeks who are not believers, or he says in verse 32, to the church of God, to believers. Just as I also try to please everyone in all things, I do not seek my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. Now again, this verse is not teaching that Paul lived his life trying to please everybody because we know that contradicts what Paul has said in other places. Paul said, if I want to be a servant of Christ, I can't live to please everybody. The word here means to consider, to to accommodate. In other words, again... I don't live to please everybody, Paul says, but when it comes to other people's spiritual welfare, I will give up my own liberty, my own freedom, if I think that what I'm going to do, the choices I'm going to make, the decisions I'm going to make, is somehow going to negatively impact them either staying on the path to salvation or they're already on the path in salvation, but I'm going to in some way cut in and impede their progress. Paul said then, I'm going to give it up because God has enabled me, Paul said, to not only see beyond my experiences and to be able to see beneath certain things, but he's also given me great vision as I keep my eyes on him to see all the people around me and how my life and what I say and what I do and what I don't do and how that impacts them. And Paul said, that's really That's really living a life that follows Christ. That takes up our cross daily. Dies to self. And says, Jesus, my life, it's more important about bringing glory to you and bringing other people to you and other Christians further along in their faith than it is me always getting my way and what I want to do. So what a great passage. The vision that God will give us if we just keep our focus on him he will let us see beyond our own circumstances our own trials to where instead of getting caught up in the trial we realize that this very difficult thing that i'm going through has actually been allowed by god to strengthen me not to get too far ahead but then in second corinthians remember what paul says he also, God, allows that so that not only will it strengthen me, but then sometime down the road, when I'm in a really good place, God's going to start bringing other people into my life that are going through what I went through, and I will be able to give them hope and encouragement by the hope and encouragement and comfort that God gave me. Second Corinthians 1, 1-3. Keeping my eyes focused on Christ also allows me to see below the surface. Remember, one of the things that we all struggle with is the eyes. And we see something and we say, it looks good on the surface, right? And Paul's saying, learn to have that insight and perception where you can see below the surface of what's really there. And then, God will also give us the ability to see all around us the vision that God will give us if we just keep our eyes focused on Him. And remember, hopefully somebody here needs to hear this one more time. Your unwavering foundation is Christ. He accompanied the Israelites. He will accompany you every step of the way He is your rock. Don't forget that. Stand on that rock tomorrow, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every day, this week. Stand on your rock, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for reminding us of these examples. These stories from the Old Testament that are to make a lasting impression upon us today. They're not just stories that we read and put away, but they should be stories that truly grip our heart and change our life. They should be experiences that the Israelites went through that should cause us to live life differently because we don't want to follow and go down the same path that they did. That even though they experienced God in such, a, such an unbelievable way, they became idolaters. And Paul was saying to the Corinthians, and I think he would say the same thing to us at the Oasis, that it's very possible for us to have experiences with God in our lives and yet become idolaters. So Paul says to all of us, Let's beware, lest those of us who think we can stand, we might fall. And God, thank you for reminding us that sometimes the things that we choose to get involved with, that there's a spirit, a demonic spirit, a satanic power beneath or below the surface, that it might look very harmless and okay on the outside. But God, You want Your people to have such unbelievable discernment and insight that You help us to see below that. To see what's really behind it, what's really there driving it. And then God... Just help us to do the second commandment, the second greatest commandment, to love each other as we love ourselves. And that means taking other people into consideration all the time. God, as Christians, as Christ followers, we should be the most considerate, accommodating, sensitive, looking out for others of anybody on planet Earth. And Lord, today that would truly be a contrast because... Whether Christians or not, we can live in such a cold, rude, mannerless, all-about-me world that no one takes any other person into consideration except themselves. And God, we, we could stand out just simply by following the example of Jesus who didn't come for himself but came for us. God, help us to live for you and keep our focus on you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, have a great rest of the week. Hope to see you Sunday.